Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Before I introduce my guest, I'd like to start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to encourage you to continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at RainCanada.com. And if you're inclined, I'd really appreciate it if you were to share this show with your friends, your family, other people you know, and certainly, yes, even people you don't know. So please rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page where you can share us, you can like us, you can comment and communicate with us. So thanks again for the feedback you provide the team and I. It is definitely and sincerely appreciated. My guest today, Michael Dominguez, is a longtime Ray member who's a realtor and a real estate investor primarily in the Durham region, which is east of Toronto in the Golden Horseshoe area of Ontario. Now, Michael owns a couple of multiplex buildings, but his real focus and the sweet spot he's found for himself is in legal two-unit dwellings. Now, as an investor, he owns a number of these properties, but as a realtor, he and his team have helped clients purchase and create well over 200 legal two-unit homes throughout the Durham region. Now, Michael's a former winner of the Rain Realtor of the Year Award and lives a life of contribution in the success of others. And as much as Michael's investment focuses on cash flow generating properties in markets with good fundamentals, which are prime for wealth appreciation, he also brings that same passion to the equity market where he has a strong and diversified portfolio that generates just really solid dividends and growth as well. So with many real estate deals and years of investing experience under his belt, Michael has many lessons to share with listeners here on the Everyday Millionaire podcast today. Seemingly ordinary people achieving extraordinary results. Michael Dominguez, he's one of those guys. Please enjoy listening in. Michael Dominguez, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire podcast. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much. Michael, I always begin by asking my guests, you know, if you had a 60-second elevator speech and somebody said to you, well, what do you do, Michael? What's your 60-second what's your elevator speech? And if it goes longer, that's okay, by the way. No, I understand. Um, 
Honestly, I'm an investor that happens to also be a realtor. I focus on helping my clients build wealth uh, through uh, through real estate. So it's not even 60 seconds. That's 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 what I tell people. The long and the short of it. Now, you've been a RAIN member for a while. How long have you been a, a RAIN member now? About six, seven years. And uh, and actually about three years ago, I believe, I was named the uh, the uh, Realtor of the Year for RAIN uh, in the Ontario market. So I, uh, RAIN's been a huge part of my life. Yeah, you're. I mean, you're an award-winning realtor. You're also an investor. Now, when you came in uh, half a dozen years ago or so, Michael, were you a realtor back in those days as well, or? Yeah, I I, I got my real estate license back uh, about ten, eleven years ago. This is my second or third life. Interesting. I was a. Uh, I actually was in franchise sales before being a realtor. I worked for a company called Pet Value Canada, which really doesn't have a big stage out west but in in eastern ontario or in canada and eastern ontario uh, uh, manitoba we have a number of stores and i was selling franchises for them as well as i believed in the product so much at the time that i actually uh i purchased a franchise for myself as well as as well as my uh, brother part bought a store and my my folks bought a store i thought that was the way to move ahead and build wealth and uh and it wasn't until I was 40 years old and I realized I basically had virtually no wealth. I was 40 and I was saying, you know, how the hell did I get into upper middle management and retail? And uh, I said, I needed to make a change. And uh, somehow, some way I ended up in, in real estate. Isn't that interesting? You know, um, I've been a business owner for uh, about 35 years now. I still own retail stores, by the way, uh, amongst other things in Edmonton. But it was back when I was about 40 that I went, you know, it's great that I own the business. It's profitable. It's doing all the things that it does. But when I looked into the future, I went, gosh, you know, if I can't sell the business and exit and saving money, I'd done. But how do you really leverage that? So the realization that real estate was the way to go with that. Now, it sounds like you had that same kind of realization. You did the franchise. Was it? Did you did you think at the time that you'd actually just bought yourself a job? That's a kind of a classic case, and and, and I'm not saying that franchise was that, but what what was a that part bit. of your realization? Yeah. yeah, a little a little bit of that. It wasn't so much buying myself a job because I was I was the franchise sales manager for the for the company, right. and so I was basically buying my wife a job is what I was doing, and so I was doing my traditional forty hours or so work week plus uh, commuting into Markham every day. Uh, and then in my uh, in my spare hours was putting another fifteen to twenty five hours a week working at the store. So uh, uh, after a couple of years of that, uh, my first wife and I uh, got divorced. Uh, she got the store, and I got my freedom. So we both won. So it was good. <laughs> and is she? You know, does she still own that store today? Nope. No. Nope. Nope. Well, no. I. I yeah. No. She. Uh, she ended up selling it uh, a few years ago, and uh, she again it. it Gave her a job for many, many years, but it really didn't uh, turn into the kind of wealth that we start, started uh, thinking we would get. And the old, if I knew then what I know now kind of thing, I would have bought a duplex and uh, had a hell of a lot less work and uh, and made a lot more wealth. So, you know, it was, it was one of those things that I just didn't know what I didn't know back then. So. so when did the real estate light bulb come on for you, Michael? Because you've been doing it a while, and yeah. when when was the realization that real uh, that uh, real estate was a direction for you to go? Well, in two thousand and six, again, I just turned forty, and uh, and I uh, I was really 
try to figure out what I wanted to do. I wasn't happy in my job, uh, as as many people I'm sure listening to this can attest. I, um, you know, when I was a teenager, even in my early 20s, I I really thought of myself as very entrepreneurial. But then, you know, over time, you you finish your education, yeah. Uh, you get your degree, you meet a girl, uh, you get a job, you get a couple of promotions, you get married, you have a kid, and the uh, the entrepreneurial spirit kind of gets beat out of you a little bit. And uh, so 15 years goes by really fast. And so now I'm 40, 41. And uh, actually, I was looking at buying a, a house uh, for residential. And, and the person who was uh, my realtor uh, happened to also be a manager uh, for a real estate brokerage and said, you'd be perfect for real estate. And I said, oh, sure. I'm sure you say that to all the boys. But uh, she said, no, 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 really, you'll be perfect. And so, you know, I started doing some homework and some research and, uh, and sure enough, uh, I decided to take my courses and, uh, and thought I'd be more focused on, um, on commercial real estate because of my background uh, with the franchising. But it wasn't until about a year in that I started working with some investors and I just saw what they were doing and said, you know, these are my people and, uh, and sort of fell right into it. So within about a year, I became focused on working with investors and I thought, what the hell, I should probably buy a, buy a property myself just to, uh, just so I could talk to them about the same conversations and the journey began. So interesting, you know. I'm always, I always have an interest in in the journey to entrepreneurship, and and because in your case, it, you know, you said it kind of gets beat out of you when you get into you know a journey where it's traditional and all the things that we go down those paths. But did you you talked about your entrepreneurial spirit? Were you and and you actually mentioned that your parents had bought a franchise. So was being a business owner or being an entrepreneur kind of also your background as a kid growing up, Michael? Or how did that evolve? Yeah. My, my father ran, um, ran a business. He was uh, self-employed as an appliance uh, repairman. I, I think um, using the analogy of rich dad, poor dad, my dad was still, he did well, but my uncle was my rich dad, essentially. Mm. And, and he was the, uh, the millionaire, uh, didn't have a lot of education, formal education, but he had that, that mindset. And so I'm going to give you a, a reference that, uh, that you and I will know, but anybody under the age of 40 would, would know this probably. Uh, my favorite TV show when I was a kid was uh, Family Ties. And Alex P. Keaton, uh, was, uh, uh, which is Michael J. Fox. Actually, I su- started signing my name, Michael J. Dominguez, as a result of, of uh, Michael J. Fox. Uh, and actually, that is my middle initial. And so, you know, I was this smart-ass 18-year-old or 16-year-old. And when people said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And everyone always had these canned answers. My answer was, I want to be a millionaire. And, uh, which, which maybe sounds, uh, well, I'm sure it is very, uh, very, uh, cocky, but, uh, that was my, I, I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I wanted to be wealthy, but you know, a year turns into 10 and returns into 20. And, uh, I'm sitting there at 40 years old with, uh, with, you know, uh, a house, uh, second marriage and, uh, we were doing okay. We had a good, good nine to five income, but we really weren't moving forward. And, uh, and we started even thinking of going into other franchises at the time because, again, that's what I knew. Then I started to look into real estate uh, as a realtor. And uh, I did the old, I'm going to give it a try and, and see how that goes. And you know, if it doesn't work in two years, then I'll go back into working in uh, upper middle management for retail management. And it just, uh, I never went back. So it was, it was good. So when you were looking at real estate, you said you had mentioned or you'd mentioned that you 
ran into a group of people that were investing in real estate. And tell me a little bit about that because you crossed paths with this group of people. What were they talking about real estate that caught your attention at the time in terms of investing? Well, it, it's it's just that it made sense. Um, you know, I I was ready to hear what real estate had to offer at that time. I, you know, I, you know, I, I think earlier I already said, if I knew then what I know now, but it almost took my 15, 20 years of life experience to, um, um, to realize that there was a better way. And, uh, I started to learn about how, you know, I'm sure we've all heard the stats that upwards of 90% of all millionaires built a lot of it through real estate. And, uh, and, you know, I liken it to, um, if you're playing a video game and there's two paths to get to the next level and one 90% of the people do and, and, and do it very successfully. And the other one is this, this, you know, this strange, difficult way that, you know, I don't know how to do, I would pick the way that 90% of the people do. And, uh, and so I started to emulate some of the people that had some success, both, both, uh, that people actually knew. And, and then I started my journey of, uh, self-education and, uh, and, and kept rolling from there. So that's kind of what happened. So do you, do you see in reflection, you know, as you, you kind of mentioned it, it took you, you know, you had to do what you had to do for 15 years to get to where you were, but uh, always that is the case, but do you see, are you able to in reflection, look at all the gain, years of experience that you gained being in the business of selling franchises and all of the rest of it as a bit of an apprenticeship for being a you know really smart realtor and a successful realtor and investor. Do you link those that experience to where you are back then and today? Oh, absolutely, Patrick. It really uh, it's it's uh, without a doubt. I if if I'd have gone out of school and gone into real estate at twenty three, like a lot of others do, I don't think I'd be nearly the uh, businessman that I am today. Yeah, everybody gets their lessons differently, and it's just always interesting that we have to sometimes go through what we have to go through to learn where we're where, what we can be successful at next. And we it is that apprenticeship. But it's what I also find interesting is you're a realtor who got bitten by the investor bug. But statistically, we know that realtors there can be some very very successful realtors in terms of their sales and their. Uh, listings and all of the things that realtors, uh, you know, assess their success by, but many of them, many, many, the majority by far don't own real estate investments, which I always have found quite odd. And some of them don't even own their own home. And so what, what have you learned in that industry along the way? Because of course in rain, and you've heard us many times, you've heard me many times on the stage tell investors, you must work with an investor focused realtor bar full stop you got to do that so what have you learned along the way one of my uh, early mentors as a realtor was a gentleman by the name of brian buffini he does um, coaching he's based out of san diego and uh i just became a buffiniite I, I followed everything that he was saying and uh and early on uh one of the one of his early lessons was you've got to buy real estate of all the wealth that he's earned over his lifetime as a realtor and as uh running the buffini and company uh, uh training program pales in comparison to the amount of money he made through real estate i also had a couple of early 
uh, realtors that I associated with, who uh, uh, this one gentleman by the name of Mike Montagano, a uh, uh, Italian guy, uh, probably eighty years old, and and he would take me by the, he literally put his arm around my shoulder and said, said Mike, if you do anything, uh, buy real estate. That's what you've got to do. And uh, he said it's it's made it's 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 made me a millionaire. So you you know just do that. And uh, so he started hearing that same lesson over and over again to people I really respected. So I, I did it. And honestly, I really I'm, I'm going to tell you the honest truth is when I bought my first property or two, I did it for as much to make myself a better realtor than I did to build wealth for myself. It's, uh, you know, maybe a naive thought, but I thought, okay, well now I can speak their language. If I own something, I, you know, I did the same thing as a, as a franchise sales manager, I bought a franchise and it made me better franchise sales person. So I thought, let me do the same thing here. And, uh, and it quickly sort of flipped the script over the years where, uh, where I became more investor first. Uh, I could tell you the lessons I learned from Mike Montagano and others. Uh, I'm trying to now give back, not that I'm an old grizzled guy, but uh, I feel like it sometimes. And uh, actually just this year, I, I did a, uh, a give back program to my local real estate broker, or, or not the brokerage, but the, um, the association. And I'm starting to speak to other realtors to try to teach them sort of teach the next generation to invest in real estate. It's, I call it insider trading. You guys know more than anyone else about this industry. Just do it. Well, that speaks to what you've maybe learned of why realtors don't. And I think investors in general, if, and you've worked with investors, you've worked with lots of realtors. And, and so when you look at what it takes to pull off what it is that investors do, you know, how much of it is just in general mindset? Because we talk about mindset often on the show and and fear and getting over those fears. What is it that you see on a regular basis that you hear maybe from realtors or investors? Let's, let's talk two different kind of channels. But what do you hear from realtors, for example? Why, why don't they invest in real estate? To your point, they're stumbling across great deals all of the time. Yeah, it is so common. Well, the two things that happen the most often is is just fear of losing their wealth, and uh, so they're they're afraid of taking action. Even though I could show them stat after stat after stat of how it just makes financial sense to do it, there's just this element of fear. And one of the quotes that I I, I tell people is, uh, you think that um, taking action and doing this is risky. How about going through the next 30 years of your life and then being ready to retire and not having any wealth? Now that's, that's risky. And, uh, and so, and the other one, and actually probably the most common one with realtors is they just don't want to deal with tenants. They don't want to, uh, they don't want the hassles and such like that. And I share with them again, it's, I, I call it a, my line is it's a part-time job. If anybody tells you otherwise, it's not purely passive, but it's a part-time job that can make you a millionaire. And if you really want to avoid doing the uh, the day-to-day stuff, you can hire a property manager. And and I even have provided them with local property managers to say, you know, just just buy it as long as it covers itself, makes a couple of dollars. Hire a property manager that'll even if you don't make any cash flow at all, just 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 own the asset and. Uh, and some have actually taken action. Actually, on Wednesday, I'm actually uh, meeting with a realtor who I spoke to uh, a couple of months ago, and he's buying me lunch and uh, and picking my brain a little bit. And I'm happy to share with uh, with younger realtors that that very same lesson that I learned from some of my mentors early on. 
How did you come here? Like, you, I mean, you're a veteran Rain member. Uh, let's go back to six or seven years. And how did you hear about Rain? And and what was kind of your journey? You met investors, and so how did you how did you find your way into the Rain room, so to speak? Yeah, I uh, two things happened. Uh, one, I recently read a, a book by this upstart uh, author by the name of Don R. Campbell. I'm, maybe you've heard of him. I'm not sure. <laughs> And, uh, and so I, I really liked his, his message in my investor circles of my local investment clubs, they mentioned the rain group. And so, you know, honestly, I, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, you know, I think we all think we're a little better than we are. And I thought, well, I don't know how much they have to teach me, uh, but, uh, but maybe I can get some leads out of there. So sure. Why don't I join and sign up? And interesting enough, although I have made some great connections and made some great friends there and, and even done some deals with some of the local uh, RAIN members, uh, that pales in comparison to the amount of education I've, I've learned through RAIN. I, uh, my entire, the essence of how I look and how I, I think about investment now uh, comes from the the cycle uh, of of uh, looking for strong GDP properties uh, or areas and and just growing from there and and the amount of times I've shared some of the lessons that I've learned with Rain uh, to other people has has you know again it's changed my life it's uh, so you know I'm a I'm always going to be a Rain member even if I'm not investing in real estate just if I can teach the next generation I think that's my give back. You know, you say that that's an interesting, and I want to dig into it a little bit because once this to me speaks a little bit to mindset and often what I see. You know, we're literally, you know, I've been involved with Rain eighteen years. You know, early on as a as a Rain member, going to yeah, what the time at, what at the time was a Quick Start program. We we call that Acre now, but ultimately, I had a similar as an entrepreneur. I always said if I never buy another piece of real estate, uh, I would I would stay in this room because. Understanding the economics, the community, uh, you know, looking at the economic fundamentals were was also beneficial to my business. Aside from real estate, because it was, all, of course, yeah. I'm making decisions on my business and looking at the what's going on economically. But I ask you, you know, because Rain members come, some actually return or they go, and then they sometimes return, and often they don't. But what keeps you in the room? So I'm just interested in this one. I'm just curious about it. But also, what is it different for you, you know, coming to this room now for six or seven years versus somebody who after a couple of years goes, nah, I'm out. You know, what do you think it is that you get out of the room that some people don't get out of the room or get out of the being a member? I'm, I'm just curious about that. On one hand, you could say I'm a slow learner because I need to hear the same message over and over again. But uh, but no, more seriously is is actually I've I've had the chance to talk to uh, and actually, Don Campbell, I would call him my number one mentor. He's been uh, very instrumental, even if I haven't had one-on-one conversation with him, just just hearing him speak and some of the others speak. I've learned what's made me wealthy has been not so much going all over the map and making all sorts of risky investment decisions, but, but actually um, imagine, like I've got this boring dance step that I do over and over again. What I do is I buy a bungalow in a good neighborhood. I've renovated, I build a legal basement apartment, I get both tenants in, it's cash flowing, I refinance it, use the money, do it again, and repeat, and repeat, and repeat. And that's been my strength. That's what I've been teaching a lot of my investors is exactly that. And the more I've 
built in this industry, I, I get so many offers and so many opportunities that have come my way of development deals and uh, buying buying land and uh, and some multi-unit building. I do own a nine-plex and a six-plex, but it's not so much... Uh, that's not my strength is the two unit stuff. And I just keep going back to it and over and over again. And every time I start to think, Oh, what about this, this deal in the, uh, the Caribbean or, or this purchase out in Alberta or this or that. And, you know, I, I have to sort of remember my rain training of saying, you know, you know, make your investments boring and make your life exciting. And, uh, and going to those meetings have helped kept me on my straight and narrow. Whereas, if I'm on my own, uh, I think <laughs> I think I'd, honestly I'd, I'd start to think of swaying a little bit, and uh, and that's where I can get myself into a lot of trouble. And uh, so I I stick with what I know and stick with what I'm good at, and it's really done well for me. You talked about um, some of the guidance you're giving younger realtors or investors. You know how important is being a contribution in that regard for you? I mean, you received very well. Do you? Do you feel an obligation to give back or do you just, is that part of what inspires you as giving back and, and how does that show up for you given all of your experience? Yeah. You know, I'm going to give you a C all of the above for that one. I really think that it's imperative for, for those of us that have had some elements of success to, to share that and, and not not just from a purely monetary sense, like obviously as a realtor, you can think I have, you know, I'm sort of, thinking, oh, maybe I can build more business. But obviously, if I'm helping out other realtors, I'm not expecting to get their business. That's not the point. It took me a little while to figure this out. But um, you know, there's, there's enough deals for everyone. And it's not a I win, therefore you lose sort of mentality. It's I win and you win and we both win together. And it's fantastic. And uh, so it's not like I've ever in competition with any of these guys or, or girls. But secondarily, with regards to the education, I, that really drives me. And and uh, in the last couple of years, I've really tried to figure out what my what my passion is. And uh, and certainly, I don't I don't see myself being a full time coach or anything like that. But if I can help mentor the next generation, you know, not that I'm old and gray, but it's I'd like to be able to do that. So it's interesting for me. The observation that I've made over the years is that the most successful rain members. I'll talk rain members. I mean, I certainly have a life outside of rain, but. When I'm looking at RAIN members and real estate investors, you know, there's those individuals who come into the community looking for what they can get. And then many eventually start to make it about what they can give. And the most successful RAIN members we see in our community right across the country are those individuals who are coming into the room going, what can I give? And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're giving advice. It can sometimes mean I'm giving good energy or I'm giving, you know, I'm being enthusiastic, but it's not, what do I get out of the room? What do I get off of the stage? What do I, it's, it's more uh, being in the community and, and being a contribution to the community. And time and time again, when I'm talking to many realtors, as much as they're there and they're driving a, uh, their business and growing it, they're being a contribution and they're spending a lot of time with their clients. Do you think that that's a, what's a unique part of being a real estate focused realtor is the ability to want to put in the time because it, let's face it, when you're dealing with an investor, it's, it can be often time consuming. Yeah, it's, it's, it's far more relationship building and uh, it's not necessarily for every realtor 
you know, to become an investor realtor, it's, it's, uh, I get that asked, asked that question a lot is saying, uh, what do I have to do to become an investor realtor? And, you know, I say, well, you have to go out and buy some properties on your own. And then you got to start taking a number of investment courses and read a number of books and, uh, and start networking with people. And after about four or five years, you can really start to build your database. And they say, Oh, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> and, uh, and it is. And that's why I can tell everyone the path I did because I know not too many people are going to follow that path. Honestly, the amount of relationships uh, I've built through that has, has changed my life. Uh, I think back to my network of friends that I had 10, 15 years ago and who I'm basically hanging around with today. And it's, uh, it's a very different group of people because not that I've abandoned my old, my old posse, but, uh, but this new world of, uh, of investors, we are so like-minded it's, uh, and it's all different nationalities and gender. I like, it's also different, but yeah, we all have the same mindset and it's, it's a good group of people. So when you're, you know, when you've been investing, you started out early on, uh, how did you get through your fear? What was your secret, or if there was a secret, uh, what do you what do you attribute? Did you have some big fear and trepidation when you bought your first property? How did you get past it? Oh, absolutely! I bought my first property in um, right after the the recession in in oh eight oh nine, and not that we had as big of a recession as the U.S., but we did have a bit of a downturn. And I was a bit of a knucklehead. I went right into a sixplex in a town I really didn't know that well about much about in Coburg, and uh, and I'm telling you, I I was I I threw up many many times. I uh, I just didn't know what I didn't know. And, uh, and I was pretty much scared shitless is the best way to describe it. And, uh, and, uh, but you know, I just decided to move forward and it's funny. My wife, uh, she says, I love you. I trust you, but I don't want anything to do with real estate. It's all on you. And so I decided to move forward and it was around year. Then I, the second year I bought another property, you know, I've, I've listened to a lot of people doing a lot of interviews and podcasts, and I'm sure you've interviewed a number of people and it seems like they're buying, you know, five, 10, 15 properties a year. And you think, how the hell do they do that stuff? I just, this just doesn't make sense to me. My goal was to buy one property a year, every year for 10 years. That was my goal. And uh, fast forward this year, actually, I bought it. My, uh, my, it was my 13th property. It took me 10 years to do it. and. I basically have been able to refinance my money, recycle it over and over and over again, uh, leverage my wealth, and uh, and it's put me where I am right now. It's 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 sort of a a very repeatable process for anyone who's listening. It's not something that you know. I'm sure when you hear some of these guys speak and they they talk about all this stuff they've done, you think you know, there's no way I could do that. Well, this is stuff that you know, if I can do it, you can do it. You make an interesting point. And so let's dig into that a little bit around your wife. And she's kind of going, I trust you, but I'm not in. Like, I'm not, like, I'm not, I don't want anything to do with it. And that's where she started with. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. But so the question is, is that she disagreed maybe, or she didn't like the idea of real estate, but she aligned with the direction that you were going to go. Yeah. So she wasn't, she wasn't an anchor tied to pulling you back. She was on side with it, although she was probably nervous, perhaps a little skeptical, but. Yes, because that's what she grew up with. Her, her family never took any risks and never, they, like they were far less entrepreneurial than even my family was. And, and, uh, and so she was very nervous about that. And actually, this is one of these things where I wish I was smart enough to have planned this ahead of time. 
But um, what I started doing was uh, when my clients purchased properties, I would, as my uh, thank you gift, I was taking them out for for dinners or for certain entertainment or something along those lines. And so it usually was me, my wife, and the couple that I was taking out. And I would do that over and over and over again. And, And Lisa was hearing the same message over and over again, not from her husband who doesn't know anything, but from couple after couple after couple. And uh, fast forward a couple of years, and she says, you know, we should be buying even more real estate. And uh, so fast forward to today, she actually now is our property manager for most of our properties. She quit her job at IBM and Human Resources and is now a realtor on my team and is the one who's uh, pushing me to continue buying properties. So, uh, so you know, I Either I'm a really, really good salesperson or, or I just got lucky. I'm not sure which. Uh, I think, you know, salesman aside, I think, you know, those are, that takes relationship power. You know, that's uh, that's a couple working together, hearing each other, listening and uh, being able to work through it. So good on you. Well done. Let me kind of go back to some of your deals. Now, has every deal you've done been a home run or, you know, have you, no, have actually, you screwed I, up I have doing? sold two properties. Yeah. I uh, I currently own thirteen. I've I've purchased fifteen. I tried getting into student rentals because, again, the appeal of student rentals is really exciting. And uh, after having done that for a couple of years, I realized that wasn't for me. And so I sold it, made a couple dollars profit, but not a lot, and moved on. And then the other thing that I uh, that I did was one of my two unit properties was in a really inferior location. It actually had my best cash flow on paper, but yet I had more problems with that property than any other one. And uh, after dealing with uh, tenant issue number 37, and we were evicting tenants for both the upper and the lower unit, we made the decision to sell that property at that time and then take the profits and then buy a couple other properties. I, I basically started using the expression, a quality property in a in a quality neighborhood, uh, leads to quality tenants, and that brings you quality profits. And that's kind of one of the speeches I tell people over and over again: is I'm, I'm less focused about cash flow and paper. If it's in a bad neighborhood, I'd rather buy the quality property in the quality neighborhood. And and that's you know it's done me well. I I, I believe the really way the real way to build wealth in this industry is not to uh, like yeah making on the buy is awesome. But it's holding on to that property for 5, 10, 20 years. And if I'm dealing with crappy tenants all the time, it'll break you. And, uh, and it's having good quality tenants and uh, people respect you. And, uh, and I've built a lot of wealth that way. You know, such an important lesson as a real estate investor is just what you said. You know, is there's also the quality of the area and is going to attract the quality of tenants, which is to say that there are many landlords, and I know many investors that actually work well in those kind of fringe areas because they just do. They but their their business model is set up to deal with the turnover and all the things that go along with that type of tenant base. So yeah, so you sold those properties and you redeployed the cash or whatever you might have done with it. So. Along the way, you've you've had a couple of, or, you know, would you call those? They're not epic fails. Have you had any epic fails? You've been pretty smart. No, um, I haven't. And actually, one of the stories I like to share is um, working with two units it, again because through rain and other mentors, they told me what to look for in a property. And so I didn't buy in inferior neighborhoods. I didn't buy in inferior 
markets. And every property I had at minimum covered their expenses. So, you know, if shit happens, uh, I'm, I'm okay. As long as they cover themselves, I'm okay. I always use the expression that I said, if I if I never sell another house again, or if I have a heart attack or a, or a stroke, I don't want to have to be losing these properties. I want these properties to at minimum cover themselves and, and possibly cover myself. And I can tell you that I've now done over 300 deals as an investor realtor and uh, knock on wood, not one, uh, one client that has been in a long-term buy and hold property has lost wealth. And uh, that's pretty cool. So you've got a real system and you've learned enough about a specific methodology that you can just keep applying it and applying it. So what I heard you say earlier, and then you talk about student housing, that one unit that you bought student housing that you veered off course, you know, given what you were getting good at. So it's interesting. So what did you learn about student housing? Because I know people listening to this, some will have had success in student housing. Some are considering it. What was your lesson around the student housing investment? Uh, I had two issues. One is I invested actually in a in a top ten rain market, Aurelia, Ontario, and and I like Aurelia. I think it's a really nice town, but uh, I didn't have my um, my network there in the same degree. And so my goal at the time was to buy four or five properties and then really build a base there. And that never actually happened. And uh, so that was number one. Is I, I really you need to have a good local base if it's in a market that you're not currently working. So that was one of my lessons. And I didn't want to make a base there because I was doing so well in the Durham region and, and even eastward towards Northumberland and towards Peterborough. Uh, I've done so well there that I didn't want to divide my time any, any further. So that was number one. But number two, specifically with student rental, is, um, again, a lot of the times when you see properties that are listed on MLS that have a really, really high cap rate or um, just simply show a high cash flow. Many times I tell you the realtors sort of skew the numbers. I'll, I'll use it as, as gently as possible. They basically fudge the numbers to make it look as good as possible. If everything goes absolutely perfect, this property can be cash flow positive. And student rental is a good example of that. There were a number of times where uh, I had vacancies over the summer or there were other times where I had uh, I couldn't get every room filled or if I did fill one of the rooms by November, December, one of the kids dropped out and I had a hard time chasing them down for rent even after they left and I couldn't fill the place again. So all of a sudden, I was only getting 50 or 75% occupancy on, on my property and, uh, and the cash flow just simply went away. So not only was... Was it uh, a distance situation? And I was having a hard time with my uh, property management team, but I was having um, a hard time keeping full occupancy. And, uh, and I was doing a lot more repairs. Oh, and one more thing is student rental is all-inclusive primarily, whereas my model, I have the tenants paying all the utilities. So I was covering from internet to, to cable to all the utilities. And it just... I, I just wasn't making any cash flow. And so um, it just wasn't fun. So I just got rid of it. Well, what I what I hear in all of that is a little bit interesting as well is that you veered off your model because, I mean, there's certainly people uh, that we know, uh, and I'm sure you know too, that are actually very successful in student housing, but that's their focus. So they've yeah. tweaked it, they've refined it, they've put the processes in place, and that's what they're making work. So this for you was more or less than a, you know, this is, let's stick to what you're good at and that what you want to stay good at 
uh, student housing is a, a real departure from just a classic buy and hold, manage and you know hang on to forever because it takes a lot. It, there's a lot more movement going on in in this case of student housing because of the number of tenants you have on any at any given time. Hundred uh, percent. That's exactly what it is. And uh, and again, to your point, the more I've learned, and again, I go to a lot of meetups more than certainly more than most. And I've heard a lot of the, I'm sure you've heard the same tales uh, as I've heard where the person who's speaking says, I made millions, I lost millions, and then I made millions again. And then everyone applauds at the end and, uh, and, you know, for his, his or her perseverance and came back and, and uh, did their thing. I wasn't quite happy with that answer. I said, I, I, I like how you made the first couple of million. I like how you bounced back. But what was it in the middle that really that really happened that uh, that made you lose the millions? And actually, almost every time it was development deals, it was uh, joint venture deals that went bad. It was taking on risk that they didn't need to take, and then they went back to their original model and they did well with that. So that's the lesson that I've learned over and over again is to try to stick to your model and. And so whether it was student rental or a development deal or some big land purchase, uh, I'm just, I'm nervous about any of that. I'm sticking with my 1960s brick bungalow in the Ontario market and legalize that basement apartment and cash flow, refinance and repeat. Ultimately, there's the saying that says anything will work if you work it. And whether it's student housing or single family or multifamily or fix and flip, I mean, when we get really focused on a model and say, okay, I'm going to own this, then you refine it, you make it, you know, you, you take it and you get all of the things, procedures and processes and buying, and you actually take that business model and you work it. And, and that's, that's really the focus that guys like you that I talk to, I see time and time again, the guys who are the most focused and are uh, the most committed to that particular model, whatever that might be, seem to always have the most success. Yeah. When you're dealing with new investors, do you see a consistent story that they're telling themselves? Or do you see something that you often see with newer investors that you're actually able to say, okay, hang on, I get where you're trying to go. Here's some things to consider. Is there something consistent that you would share? For sure. So a lot of people, when they when they approach me, they're enthused and excited about the potential cash flow that can come from from real estate and uh, they assume it's going to be dead easy and you know they can borrow something at 100% loan to value and uh, and still see incredible cash flow and one of the things that I, I I try to teach a lot of my students or whatever is I ask them what's your number one objective what are you trying to get and and when we sort of peel down the onion a little bit. It's really they're focused on on wealth building right now and long term they'd like to see cash flow. They don't want to have negative cash flow, but they want to have enough um, enough cash flow to at least cover all of their expenses. So like a Toronto area condo just doesn't work because it's uh, they're having to dip in every single month. And so once we get to what their real objectives is, which is in many cases building wealth, that's when I can sort of find them the right type of property. If they're going in saying, I need cash flow and I need it now, then my model may not be the best one for everyone because we're not seeing a ton of cash flow. It is covering itself. We're making a couple hundred bucks a month, but it's not like um, buying a Northern Ontario multiplex that on paper or even a student rental or, or an Airbnb rental, those can see far better cash flow numbers than what this can. But 
But when I peel down the onion, the vast majority of my people and myself included are more focused on, on building wealth. And this, this is a venue that can actually do just that. So that's probably the one thing I, I teach them more than ever. And, uh, well, I'll share with you one of the speeches I give and this is honestly, it came from rain is, uh, or just simply from just be doing the numbers is if I bought a property today that just covered itself, made almost no cash flow and held onto that property for 30 years, the mortgage will get paid off completely. And based on an appreciation in a good geographic area, maybe even three or 4%, that property is going to have over a million dollars in earned equity over the course of that 30 years. So in 30 years, just buying one property, one property to your portfolio, it won't change your life that much. Adding one property will basically give you a million dollars in 30 years. But then if you want to speed that up a little bit, what I, I, I sort of call this my triple crown club, where if you can buy three properties, so the triple crown, you buy three properties and then hold on to them for 10 years, uh, that will also generate that million dollars in net wealth between those, those three alone. Even if you're getting almost no cash flow and using three and a half to 4% appreciation, which a good, a good market area has been growing at that rate. And that's the kind of wealth that we're talking about here in the, uh, in the everyday millionaire. What I even tell people is, you know, just if you're really focused on cash flow, is uh, use the you know if you buy two properties and then hold on to them both for ten years, you could sell one of those properties, which is something I learned at Rain. Sell one of those properties, essentially pay off the other one, and uh, and have one property free and clear. So in ten years, you're going to own a property free and clear and have a whole lot of cash flow. So you know if you buy five or six properties, you can have three properties free and clear. And so if you're focused on cash flow. I can get you cash flow in 10 years and in a great geographic location. But if you're just focused on uh, cash flow today, then this might not be the model for you. It's such a great conversation to have, especially with newer investors. And it's funny that you should bring up that story. I'll, I'll just kind of add a, a little bit to really uh, bring it to the next level for me when I'm hearing you speak is first off, the question that always investors have to ask themselves to your point is why am I investing? Am I investing for future wealth or am I investing because I want income today? Because ultimately it changes the model. You know, if you want income today, you're going to do assignments, you're going to do fix and flips, you're going to do a whole, you know, you're going to do a renovation job. You're going to do something that generates income quicker and, and far easier. If you're looking for long-term wealth, buy a piece of property, manage it well, and hang on to it. It's full stop. So about 10 years ago, when I first became part of the RAIN management team, almost 11 years ago now, I always remember a young lady in Calgary that approached me and said, Patrick, I'm just starting out and I don't know what to do. And I said, with, with real estate, I just know that that's what I, you know, I want to get into real estate. And I said, well, what do you do for a living? And she's, I think at the time she had been about 30 something, 32, 33. And I says, what do you do for a living? She says, I'm a nurse. And I said, do you like nursing? She goes, I love nursing. So I said, what do you want out of real estate? She says, well, I, I just want to create a, you know, a future. I'm not married yet, but I know I'm going to have kids and da, da, da. She had a whole story around it, which was great. And I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go buy one property a year for the next three years. Do you think you can do that? And she thought about it for a minute. And she said, yeah, I can do that. And I said, that's all I want you to do. Go do that. And then just go focus on your career to be an amazing nurse. And we, and then in that same time, I did a little bit of math with her, just like you just did, right? Which was to say, 
okay, think about, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the road. So the reason this story is relevant is because she recently approached me and she lived in Calgary. She actually bought five properties in the first three years on her own, by the way. And I think mom and dad, you know, chipped in and did all the things that mom and dads do. But ultimately, she hang, she hung onto those properties. She's got them today. She's accelerated some payments on them, and she's doing the math on them today, and is just ecstatic about what that's going to look like in year twenty. And because she just keeps doing the math on it, and I think that if people can really wrap their mind around, it's not a get rich quick plan. If if you're going to do a buy and hold strategy, you might you might hit the the odd home run, which is I'm going to ask you about in just a minute. So thanks for bringing that story up. And as a realtor, you're probably dealing with it all the time, where you're having those kinds of conversations. I am, and and actually, I I often say uh, this isn't a get rich quick scheme. It's a, but it's a get rich for sh- for sure scheme. Yeah. And uh, and no, I I do have that conversation all the time. And and honestly, I. Uh, I think I've been doing this long enough now where when I'm encountering clients who are, aren't happy with the kind of numbers that I could provide, instead of trying to change my model to, to meet them, I, I just simply say, good luck to you. And I'm okay with moving on to, you know, to another person. There's always another person who's looking to, to get what I'm offering. Uh, I do investor tours, uh, which actually I did one this weekend. And uh, in the investor tour, we take, uh, I think we had this Saturday, we had close to 20 people that came around and uh, we showed them legal two-unit dwellings as well as a number of bungalows with the ability of creating secondary suites. And me and my team, we spend a fair bit of time with them in each of the properties that are for sale and sort of show them the model of how they can turn that into, into a property that can really build a lot of wealth. And we just, you know, it's boring uh, talking about the same thing over and over again, or, or to some it might, I love it, but, but I could see people sort of saying, you know, you do the same thing over and over again. What, what about, what about, uh, as you said, assignments, what about, what about this uh, development deal? And I say, no, stick with this over and over again. And, uh, and you, you sort of asked about home runs and I'm not really swinging for the fences. I'm swinging for those, those doubles into the gap. And uh, my rallies pretty sustained. Well, and, and I think that's just a great message. And because there's going to be a mix of individuals who, you know, take it on differently, right? So they're, they're, they literally are going to swing for the fence. That's their makeup. And they'll probably hit some home runs doing it and they'll make some mistakes along the way. And, and that's okay. What's interesting for me around this is that in the space of education, I'm watching all the time people out there, you know, talk, well, I, you know, I've done 400 deals and I've done 300 deals and follow me and pay me and be this, you know, do this coaching program because I've, you know, I'll show you how, cause I've done it 300 times yet. I sit with a rain member who actually, you know, it's not like you're out there on, you're not that public figure to the degree that you're out there bragging about how many deals you've done, but here you are as a realtor, just quietly doing what you know works teaching a specific and guiding people through a specific model, creating millionaires, you know, and creating wealth for people. And it's such an interesting perspective from my point of view, given all of the hype uh, that goes along with social media and the ability to communicate with audiences and uh, the seem the need, it seems to make it bigger than it, it really even needs to be. Yeah. You've, you know, you've, you've just been transacting deals as a realtor. So 
so you haven't had any, you know, nothing to brag about in terms of saying I hit it out of the, you know, I hit it out of the park. I, I've had a, a couple of those were really just lucky and I made a ton of dough and, and that was great, but that certainly wasn't the intention when I went into the deal. Sure. And you know, it's, um, this might sound like a bit of a canned answer, but yeah, there's, there's been some where, uh, actually this, my first attempt at, uh, at doing a more active joint, like I've done joint ventures with partners where we're both active, but this was the first time I was seeking out, um, someone to, um, that was going to come in with most of the cash and qualify. And this was back in 2014 and, uh, and I couldn't find anyone at the time. And I was actually kind of disappointed with myself and with everybody else, actually, that nobody would take on this deal. And actually, you know, again, it took a couple of years, but basically, you know, I made a couple hundred thousand on that over the course of the first couple of years in terms of appreciation and, and, uh, and wealth. And, uh, and I think, man, I would have been given up 50% of the equity if I would have just taken somebody else's down payment money, which at the time was like 50 grand of down payment money. It just reinforced to me that, uh, that just, you know, stick with my model. And, uh, you know, I don't need, like, I've, I've thought about adding more joint ventures and, and taking on sort of, um, people where I, I'm the expert and, and, and doing that. We both heard those speeches of the people with 300, 400 properties and, uh, and, and many of them, like I've, well, I think we both know people personally that, that have almost gone bankrupt doing that. They just, cause they have 400 properties doesn't mean they've built any wealth. And, you know, me with my one property a year, I've done okay with that. Well, I was going to say you, you being in Ontario and certainly the past, uh, four or five years, five or six years, I mean, yeah. there's been some, some big run up in, in that regard. So let's talk about a little bit more around the entrepreneurial spirit that you've had. So you've taken on as a realtor, you build your portfolio and then you go back to work being a realtor and, and helping people and doing deals and all the things that go along with being a realtor and, and working it. And when you look at some of the investors that you're dealing with who aren't full-time real estate investors, do you see where they get in their way and can they, can people get in their own way or do you see on a consistent basis where people get in their own way of going, how do I have time for this? Because that's often uh, a comment we get from people is I don't have any time. How do I invest in real estate when I've got no time? Do you have an answer to that question from your learning? Well, and, and one, one thing that I do, which is maybe a little bit more unique than, than most is, uh, is the amount of, uh, hands-on approach that our team does with our clients. We provide them with copies of our leases. We provide them with uh, some education as far as how to get the best quality tenants. We've worked with them to make sure, like with different contractors, so they get it legalized. So I don't want to say we're a one-stop shop because that's that's maybe going a little bit too far, but we want them to be successful. And, and then we have client parties once or twice a year where it becomes like, a, like you know, we go to a, an OHL hockey game and uh, like three people watch the game and the other 50 people just talk real estate. And uh, I think that success breeds success. And actually, very few of my clients are full-time investors. Most of them have their nine-to-five job, the ability of still qualifying for more properties. Because once you give that nine-to-five up job up, the banks tend to not like you very much. And we just by continually spending time with these guys and bringing them to client parties and bringing them to different networking events, the vast majority of them, when they buy one, they do get more. And if they start getting overwhelmed, uh, it's funny, I've 
you know, I, I'm probably the worst realtor in the world because I've had probably 20 times where where clients of mine have have said, I want to sell my property. And then when I dig deep, it's usually because they're having tenant issues and they're saying, screw that. I don't want to deal with these guys anymore. And I've talked about a selling and, uh, and, you know, recommending property management or offering them solutions to, uh, to solve the problems they've got right now. Because, you know, again, at the end of the day, I think their goal of building wealth hasn't changed. So I just try to find ways of, of getting them to that point. You mentioned banking a little bit and, and getting joint venture partners with capital or qualify for a mortgage. How big of an impact from your perspective has the stress tests and the change in banking regs, how, how, how much have they hindered uh, real estate investors from your kind of on in the trenches point of view? Yeah, 2018 was was a really difficult year for, for my business. 16 and 17 were just... It was, it was, I didn't realize how easy it was till I went through 18. It, to use a Canadian analogy, it was like trying to put a, push a sled uphill. It, that's kind of how 18 went. It seemed like everyone was struggling. Uh, I can give you a personal scenario. I have my greatest net worth I've ever had in my life. I've got my best income I've ever had in my life. I've got proven history of making every mortgage payment I've ever done. And uh, my credit score is at the highest point it's ever been. And yet I couldn't get a mortgage. And uh, it was extremely frustrating. And uh, so I had to use some real creative ways to to move forward, whether it was um, maybe using uh, a credit union that didn't follow the stress tests. Or um, in, in our case, we were able to get my wife to qualify because she actually had less properties in, in, in our name. In many cases, there is a solution. But it's, it's sometimes a little bit more difficult to get there. And I can tell you, my business dropped 40%. I can tell you, though, that in 2019, a lot of the investors that were on the sidelines for almost a year have just gotten frustrated with being in the sidelines. And now they're figuring out alternative ways of getting their money. And so this year has been really, really active. And I'm seeing here in Ontario, property values starting to sneak back up in the, in the lower price properties in the, in the GTA. Yeah, it's really the case is stepping back from it and looking at the problem and then coming up with solutions. And and that's really what drives great real estate investors, knowing that you're going to come across problems and you have to step up and come up with a solution. You can't let it shut you down. Yes. So, Michael, as we wind down a little bit, I'm not going to let you off the hook. I always do a little bit of a rapid fire, you know, questions at the end of the of the podcast. And uh, so, th- so thanks for sharing all you've shared so far. I mean, there's lots of just really cool takeaways in this conversation. So thanks for that. I'll, I'll warm you up with a couple of easy questions. They're all easy, by the way. So it's, <laughs> it's all good. But tell me, um, you know, you're you're successful at what you do. Do you do a lot of reading, Michael? I listen to more of the um, Audible books yeah. uh, than I do read too. Yeah. But I, uh, I do. Uh, I've I've really been following Audible. Uh, Zig Ziglar um, refers to it as uh, Automobile University, and sure. uh, and I do that a lot. So that's, that's yeah. cool. So, do you have a, a favorite book right now that you're reading, or is there one that you commonly gift? Well, actually, well, one that I just finished was Jim Rohn, uh, another one of the people out there that I that I follow really closely. Uh, I listened to his. Um, I, I just I wrote it down because I thought you'd bring this up. 
the ultimate Jim Rohn library. It was like 17 hours of Jim Rohn and it was, it was phenomenal. And, uh, and I've actually listened to it once and I was just about to start it the second time. It's, uh, hearing his messages over and over again has really been good. Before that, I, I recently read, uh, Salesman in the World by Og Mandino. Yeah. Uh, Total Money Makeover by David Ramsey. It was a smaller book, but it was it was good. I enjoyed it. One I'm reading right now is The Brand New You by Julie Broad. And uh, and again, that upstart uh, author, Don Yar Campbell, I, I tend to read a lot of his crap. So. <laughs> Julie, uh, Julie Broad, another, uh, another uh, long time ago Rain member and uh, has done very, very well. She's a great real estate investor, great coach. So, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you're a realtor. What's there, is there a job that you do that you only do it because you're good at it, but you really, really dislike it? What job do you do that you hate, but you keep doing it because you're good at it? Actually, you know what? There were a lot of jobs that I used to hate that I would do. And I'm going to tell you the honest truth is, uh, is, um, the four hour work week as a recent book I've read, well, I mean a couple years ago and, um, and the e-myth revisited. And I can tell you that it's been, I, I've done a little bit of self-analysis as far as what I do and what I don't like. And I've really delegated a lot of that stuff. Like I was, I was fairly good at paperwork back in the day, but I hated it, hated it. And, but you know, I, I like to be exact. I don't like typos. I don't like, you know, I don't like producing anything that was poor. I've got an incredible assistant and she's, uh, I basically, again, right from these books, they said, empower them, let them make the decisions. And if they screw up, you offer some corrections and, 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 you know, they'll, they'll get up to speed. And if they don't, then you find somebody else. But, but I I found myself, I was my biggest problem for being, uh, I was my biggest roadblock. And, uh, so I've been really doing a good job of delegating that. So honestly, I've been freeing up a lot of time, not doing stuff that I don't like anymore. I don't even, I don't mow my lawns anymore. I don't shovel snow. I hated doing it. I was good at it, but I don't do that anymore. I don't want to do it. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up. I haven't mowed, well, I, I, I mean, I live in the country now, so I'm back mowing lawn, but it's because I want to do it and it's all good. And, and when I don't want to do it, I hire somebody to do it. So that's all handled. But, you know, I, I, you know, if I had anything that if I looked back and said, I wish I would have done sooner, not that I have any regrets around it, I don't, but you, you nailed it. And that's when you said you hired an assistant. Now I know as a realtor, you need that assistant anyways, but you know, 35 years in business, I, I look back and say, I should have hired an assistant 30 years ago, but it couldn't make sense when, you, you know, when you're just maturing as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, you know, you're looking at cash and what does it cost and what does it cost? And man, oh man, you know, if I had any guidance to give anybody would be get a, a get an assistant sooner than later because uh, your gifts are not best spent, uh, you know, at your laptop typing out a Word document. Anyways, we digress. But so thanks for that. Do you have a favorite inspirational quote? Yes, I'll give you a, I'll give you two. Zig Ziglar. I'm going to say you can have everything in life you want if you just help enough uh, other people get what they want. Yeah, I, uh, popular I'm one. A big believer in that. Yeah. And I'm not going to be able to say it in Jim Rohn voice, but uh, I'll, I'll give it to you anyway. Work hard in your job and you'll make a living. Work hard on yourself and you'll make a fortune. Oh, that's, such, that's so good. Wise words. Wise words. What profession would you want to try if you weren't going to be a realtor? 
if I wasn't going to be a realtor. So this was my, my after my body type wouldn't allow me to be a professional baseball player, but that would have been my goal. Actually, uh, in all seriousness, I always thought that I'd be a, a baseball executive. And that was something that I would have loved to have done. And, and I didn't take that career path. Another thing actually, in all seriousness that I would love to have done is be involved in, uh, in equities and, uh, and stocks and, uh, be a, be a broker that way. I think that would have been really cool. On a scale of one to 10, how weird are you? I'll go five. Okay. That's pretty conservative. Okay. That's, that's fine. Um, most, most, I, I think most of my guests are always a little bit above 10, but lots come in that, <laughs> no, that no, by their own, <laughs> that's not my judgment of them. That's their own self-assessment. So five and seven, uh, are, are pretty cool. That's a, like, that's a good, that's a good view of yourself. So that's all good. So room desk or your car, what do you clean first? My desk, my desk. I was in. Uh, I went to see my lawyer the other day on a deal that we're doing, and uh, he. Uh, we walked past his partner's office, who I know his partner, and uh, it was just exploded in there. And I mean, there's files piled up all over the place. Yet my lawyer's all neat and tidy, and everything's like you would. You know, you could. It's all in place. Yet his partner is, was all blown up. It was just such an interest, and they're both brilliant lawyers, by the way. Uh, just well, I, I can tell you that my wife, um, and you know, if you met her, you'd never know this about her because she comes across as, you know, she's this HR mindset person and, uh, and, uh, but her office is, is shockingly bad to the point where we no longer have discussions in there anymore because I just start getting frantic. I yeah. make her come into my office, <laughs> our home office, because I just can't, I can't. I can't talk to her there. It, yeah. just, it just bothers me too much. Uh, so that's an. Stephanie's that way as well. She's that's always been her thing. That's how she does it. But she knows where everything is. But I just, you know, I'm not a, a particularly neat freak when it comes to my office. But man, oh man, that chaos makes me crazy. But they do it. They do well. I, I, I actually um, my shampoos and soaps and uh, and all of my uh, my bathroom activity. I have everything in the exact right spot, and she's not allowed to move any of my stuff uh, because uh, because if it's not in the right order, I I'll I'll forget to use it, especially in the morning. <laughs> and uh, and and I'll actually go into our cupboards and uh, and my old retail days. I'll go into the the uh, the pantry. And and reorganize all of the uh, the the cans and front face them and stuff like that from time to time. So, so you're a little OCD, um, a little bit of OCD I'll tendency. Let, yeah, I I never I, used to have that. I think it's, it's healthy. Really, I think it's, it's healthy. <laughs> I'm a lot that way. So uh, have you got a favorite tune? You know, I to be fair, uh, you actually I, I did listen to one or two of the podcasts before that. And you asked that question, and and I have a hard time answering this one because. Um, it depends on what mood I'm in right now, but I, I gave a Bohemian Rhapsody is one that if it's ever on the radio, I can't not, I can't change the channel. It's going to be there. Uh, sweet child of mine, Margaritaville. I have to be in the right mood for that, but that would be one of my favorites. Girls just want to have fun, uh, with Cindy Lauper. That's, wow. that's, that's uh, a classic that's a big one. <laughs> and if you want some Canadian content, summer of 69. So a little bit of seventies and eighties stuff is sort of my thing. If heaven exists. What do you hear? Want to hear God say when you get to the gates? Oh boy, um, you made it. Um, you know, it's that's that's really like 
you've you've accomplished a lot. You've made a difference. That's something that that I'd like to be able to have them say. Cool. And what are you grateful for, Michael? I'm grateful for um, a lot of the the friends and the journey that we've done over the last number of years. It's uh, you know I've been able to do and see so many things, and uh, and actually as I'm hitting my 55 to 65 years. There's so many more things that I want to do, but uh, the fact that I've had really good health and the fact that I've now had enough wealth that I can I can do what I want to do and I create my goals and I've been able to knock off my goals, I'm I'm grateful for that. Nice. I'm always grateful for my guests. Today, I'm particularly grateful for living in the Fraser Valley in beautiful British Columbia on a nice sunny day in the poolside studio and enjoying. And grateful for the opportunity to use this thing called podcast to share other people's stories and their lessons. So thank you very much, Michael, for your time, your energy, and the lessons that you've shared here today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed this. This was fun. Thanks, Michael. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends as it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener. If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.